Welcome tonight. It's good to have you all with us as we're going through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Uh, Why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to uh, the book of Jeremiah. All right. Jeremiah. We uh, didn't quite, um, well, we kind of have some loose ends to tie up from last week. Why don't you turn to chapter 11, Jeremiah chapter 11 for our study. Scottish minister Alexander White was um, famous sort of for his uplifting prayers in the pulpit. Um, You know, and he'd always have something to be thankful for, even in the very gloomy days that he was preaching there in Scotland. And, um, uh, but he was always, always had something to be thankful for. But there was a particularly depressing season that their culture, their people were in, and it was a really dark and stormy, rainy Sunday morning. And one parishioner thought, he's got nothing to be thankful for. What is he going to be thankful for, you know? Um, And Alexander White started his prayer off, Lord, we thank thee, O God, that it's not always like this. (laughs) I like that. He he found something even in the darkest of times. Oh, we thank you that it's not always like this. One, One story in Budapest where a Jewish rabbi was walking down the street. This guy ran up and said, you know, Rabbi, what do I do? I'm, our, our house, we have nine people living in our small house and it's packed and it's, it's, um, it's stuffy and it's not comfortable and we're all in, in real, you know, trouble. And, and the rabbi said, here's what you do. You go home and you take your goat and you put your goat in the house with you and have the goat live with you there. And the guy said, well, that's, that's ridiculous. I'm not, do what I say and, and the, your problem will be solved. Well, the guy kind of thought, well, whatever. And he went home and brought the goat in the house. And a week later, he ran back to the rabbi in the street and said, Rabbi, the, the goat in the house, it's a total nightmare. The goat is stinky and he always runs around and messes up everything. And man, it's just made matters worse. And the rabbi said, okay, go ahead and take the goat out now. And the guy did, went home, took the goat out. A week later, came to the rabbi. The rabbi said, how are you doing? Things are wonderful. Ever since the goat has gone, man, we, we realize we have room to spare and things are calm and quiet and nine people's not all that much. <laughs> the wisdom there. You know, it's an interesting day as it is, you know, by the way, Thanksgiving Eve here tonight on this live Wednesday night Bible study. Um, Thanksgiving and being thankful for what we have even in the darkest of time. The Bible says in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, and we, we think of Thanksgiving and being thankful, something that's just good to do, but I think it's essential. Could it be there's a link to the people of Jeremiah's day um, and their total rebellion, worshiping other gods, doing their own thing, God saying, I'm going to destroy you. You guys are like, this is really a troubling part of the scriptures because Jeremiah's job is basically, you're all going down and there's nothing you can do about it. In fact, over and over, the Lord's going to tell Jeremiah tonight, don't even pray for them. Like stop praying for the people because I'm not going to fix the problem. They're toast. It's history. Um, It's, you know, it's it's written, it's done. And, And so you kind of think, what a hopeless bit of scripture, but you got to remember all of this is written for our admonition, for our instruction, correction, reproof, you know, this, this inspired book of Jeremiah. And, and I wonder where does that kind of rebellion start? And, and it makes me think about this topic of Thanksgiving, um, because I wonder if it starts ever so 
covertly in our hearts where we're not thankful for our situation. And I believe these are dangerous days, not because of the coronavirus or because of the unrest and the election and all the stuff that's troubling people today, but I wonder if it's dangerous because in these days we tend to be an unthankful bunch not thankful to the Lord. I'm reminded, maybe uh, you remember in Romans chapter one, where Paul the apostle said the whole problem with the people uh, was this idea of not being thankful and it led to all kinds of horrible things. I'll just read it to you. It's uh, Romans chapter one where it says, it says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, um, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools and listen what they did. Because they were unthankful and weren't giving glory to God, they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God gave them up to uncleanness. Um, what's going on here? The, the Lord gives them up, gives them over. This is the same exact things that's happening to the people in Jeremiah's day. There's a point where God says, time's up. And my spirit, like Genesis 6 says, my spirit will not always strive with man. And it seems here that Jeremiah's at that place with the people, and, and could it have started with a lack of thanksgiving? You know, some of you might be unthankful today because Kate Brown said she's gonna continue the lockdowns through December today. Um, big shock. Um, some of you might be upset because Thanksgiving, you know, your neighbors might call the cops on you tomorrow. Uh, if you have more than six people or uh, more families, you might be unthankful because of 2020 and it's been a, a, a bad year. And we, we you know, the, the problem with being unthankful is you can become bitter in your heart toward the one who provided the year, 2020. That's the Lord. The Lord is, he's, he knows what he's doing. And he knows why these things are happening the way they are. And, and blessed is the person who puts their trust in the Lord. If you just say, Lord, I, I don't know about 2020. I, I see the problems with us uh, and with this time period, but I'm gonna trust in you and you know all things and all things work together for good. For those who love you, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Man, we're, we're the people that we can trust in the Lord and be thankful and in everything give thanks. Remember that tomorrow on Thanksgiving. Maybe some of you dads and grandpas, um, husbands, fathers, maybe you can challenge your family to be more thankful this Thanksgiving than any other Thanksgiving. This is the time to put on that thankful heart, that thankful attitude, because where the unthankful, the ungrateful heart leads is rebellion. And I think that was the condition with the people of Israel. And so we find here in Jeremiah chapter 11, we find here the Lord reminding the people through Jeremiah the prophet of the dark and bleak times that are ahead. Um, basically, Jeremiah is gonna, in chapter 11, talk about the broken covenant um, between God and Israel. Now, keep in mind, there are some covenants that are everlasting covenants that God made with the Jews that are forever. This is where confusion comes into the theology of God and the Jews. Um, and you know, the Abrahamic covenant is an everlasting covenant, whether the Jews are good or bad or ugly. The Lord still loves the Jews, has a plan for the Jews and will never fully forsake the Jewish people. But there were also covenants that were conditional covenants. If you worship the Lord and do what his word says, you'll do well. And if you do things bad and worship other gods, you're gonna 
be toast. And uh, there were covenants like that as well. And so those were the conditional covenants. So don't confuse the two. Some people say, God's done with the Jews. And they look at some of the covenants that were conditional covenants and try to ascribe that to the everlasting relationship between God and the Jews. Big mistake. So the Abrahamic covenant, and there are a couple others that are, I believe, everlasting covenants between God and his people, the Jews. But Jeremiah is gonna be talking about one of those covenants, and you have to ask which one, uh, when he says, you have broken the covenant, speaking of the Jews. Let's take a look, Jeremiah chapter 11, verse one. It says, and the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, hear ye the words of this covenant, and speak unto the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant, um, which I commanded your fathers in the day that I brought them forth out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace saying, obey my voice and do them according to all that which I, uh, which, all which I command you, so shall ye be my people, and I will be your God, that I may perform the oath which I have sworn unto your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then answered I and said, So be it, O Lord. Then the Lord said unto me, Proclaim all these words in the city of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem saying, hear ye the words of this covenant and do them. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting saying, obey my voice. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore, I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did, net, did them not. And the Lord said unto me, a conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel, the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Here the Lord is using Jeremiah to call out the people saying, you've broken the covenant. Now the question is, which covenant specifically? And uh, there's really interesting uh, academic work that has been done on this and, and there's an argument. Is this the covenant that Je uh, Josiah, remember the young king during the time of young jo Jeremiah's ministry? Josiah, remember when he found the word of God, the Shaphan and Hilkiah found the word in the old dusty temple? And they dusted off the words and said, wow, we found the word. And they read it to Josiah. Josiah read it to all the people. And they made a covenant to the Lord to keep the words of, of the book or of the scroll. So some scholars argue that it was this covenant that Josiah and the people made at that time uh, to the Lord. Others say, no, no, no. It's the covenant uh, in Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, where after the giving of the Mosaic law, you know, Deuteronomy, by the way, is the end of the Pentateuch. The book that Josiah found with Shaphan and Hilkiah was the first five books of the Old Testament. And so some people say maybe it was that covenant that in Deuteronomy 27, 26 talks about that covenant that they should do what the scriptures declare right there. So which one is it? Is it the Deuteronomy 27 
or the Josiah? And the answer is yes. Because they're not, they're, they're, they're not different, they're the same. You know, Josiah and the people said, we're gonna keep the covenant that we're supposed to be keeping from Deuteronomy. So let's do that. They were going back to that covenant. I think it's the same covenant. It's the, the, the law of the Jews keeping the law and the covenant, uh, the law of Moses. And uh, they, because they had not done that and they refused to listen to the word, thus Jeremiah says there's a conspiracy in the land. Now it's not a conspiracy theory, it is a conspiracy. Uh, and that is to act against the Lord. It's not just that they were disobeying the Lord, they literally turned on the Lord and moved against the Lord by worshiping Baal. And the Lord indicts them and the Lord says, you're in big trouble because you've broken this covenant that you promised to me. So this people group, the Jews at that time, they were gonna be judged as they rebelled against the Lord. Now, one of the things we've learned in Jeremiah, if you've been with us in our study, one of the things we've seen is that the Lord says, I will not completely destroy Israel. But these people were so rebellious, he would mostly destroy Israel during this time. But he would never fully destroy Israel because that would be forsaking his everlasting covenant that through the Jews, the Messiah would come. Through the Jews, um, would we see uh, you know, God return uh, and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem with Jews there serving in Jerusalem. So God never forsakes the Jews, but in this case, he's gonna judge them for their rebellion. And uh, it seems like there's gonna be no turning back uh, for this group of people. So that's what Jeremiah is talking about when he's talking about how they've broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers there in verse 10. So verse 11, it says, therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense, but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. For according to the number of cities were thy gods, O Judah, according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, you have set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense to Baal. Therefore pray thou not for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. Is it ever okay to not pray for someone? Um, it's funny how some people would think that, well, it's all, you should always pray for someone. You should always pray for this or that. But there's times in the Bible where God says, stop praying. This is one of them. Another one was where Paul had that thorn in his flesh, some kind of an infirmity of the flesh. And um, you know, those that say God, he's gonna heal every person every time or else you, you, you must be lacking faith. You know, some of these healing movements that are uh, just theologically off. God does heal people. His name is Jehovah Rapa, the God that heals. Um, and I believe in healing, we've seen healing. It happens here at Atheist. We pray for people and we see it. But, um, but I also think sometimes healing is forced and people say, yeah, if your faith is not strong enough, then you won't be healed. But every single time you should be healed. That's just wrong. Paul had an infirmity of the flesh. That's some kind of a sickness or disease or wound or something that, uh, that he was praying for healing and God said, stop praying. I'm not gonna heal this one. Um, there's other evidence in the Bible. You know, Jesus went through the gate beautiful there, the golden gate in Jerusalem over and over again. He went there many, many times in his lifetime. Um, but as it turns out, Peter, James, and John were walking through that same gate after Jesus died, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven. And they see this guy there that's crippled. 
And he's been there for years, which means he was there when Jesus went through that gate. And Jesus could have just said, be healed, and he would have been healed. But he didn't choose to heal him at that time. There's times where the Lord will heal, and there's times where he won't. Of course, then the Lord put it on Peter's heart. Remember, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy went walking and leaping and praising God. Um, There was a time for healing. And I, I believe that's kind of the key. The Lord will heal us in his time. Always will heal us, either right now or in the process of time with medicine, or maybe the ultimate healing. When you die and go to heaven, you'll be perfectly healed from any disease or sickness. So it's an all all win situation for the believer. But don't be sucked into this whole thing where you know pr- you know if you pray hard enough, the person will be healed. Sometimes he, the Lord will heal someone, but we have to submit to Him and say, Lord, Your will be done. Now in this situation, um, the Lord told Jeremiah, "Stop praying for these people." Uh, you know, there, there's been a few times I've said this to people, and I think they were shocked when I said, I'm not going to pray for you. Now, um, uh, honestly, I think I still kind of tend to pray for people, even when I say that. But, but there's, there's some examples. For, for example, um, you know, I've had situations where like a young guy comes up, man, I'm, I'm really struggling with my girlfriend. Pastor Brett, will you pray for me? Um, well, what's going on with you and your girlfriend? Well, you know, we're just arguing all the time and, you know, we live together and, and uh, we're not married uh, and we're just kind of arguing in, in the house all the time and it's just not fun. Well, you know, uh, uh, don't you know that living together, well, we, we live together because uh, it's better on our finances and we like to do meth together uh, and so it's kind of easier in our house. Uh, I'm, I'm being joking, but there's a point where I'm going to say, dude, I'm not praying for you. Um, here's what you need to do. Let's be pragmatic. Let's be practical. Uh, we could pray till we're blue in the face, but if you're disobedient and you're doing crazy stuff, the Lord's not going to be able to heal you. You're the one who's blocking the Lord's blessing, not the Lord. Um, so, uh, you know, it's interesting how people say, yeah, I hope you can pray for me. Uh, sometimes you just need to repent and not sin. That's what these people, they're at this place where they've just been worshiping Baal to their blue in the face. And then Jeremiah is saying, but shouldn't I pray for them? Lord, stop praying for them. I'm gonna destroy these people. The Lord had already determined. Now, before you give up on praying for somebody, you better make sure that it's the Lord telling you not to pray for them because you don't wanna be wrong. Uh, and, uh, but the Lord will put it on your heart where sometimes it's just, it's not really the right thing to do to pray for, for that individual. Um, um, you know, it's sort of like uh, Jesus warned about throwing your pearls before the swine. If a person's just gonna wallow in the mud and you're saying, oh Lord, clean them up and save their life, but the person is not really wanting to, sometimes it has to be more practical and say, you need to repent of your sins. That's the case with these people. They were unwilling to repent of their sins. Thus the Lord says, Jeremiah, stop praying for these people. It's a done deal what I'm gonna do to them. Heavy. Well, verse 15, the Lord continues, um, what hath my beloved to do in mine house? Seeing she hath wrought lewdness with many, and the holy flesh is passed from thee. When thou dost, doest evil, then thou rejoicest. The Lord called thy name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit. With the noise of a great tumult, he hath kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. This is where the Lord speaks of the olive tree uh, being sort of a picture of Israel. 
but it was this fruitful olive tree that could have been really a blessing, but it ends up getting burned because of judgment and wrath and um, the branches are broken. Verse 17, the Lord of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee for the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in the offspring, uh, pardon me, the offering incense unto Baal. This seems to be the number one problem that the Lord calls them out is where they forsook you know, the Lord and they started worshiping these false deities. Number one would be this God Baal. Verse 18, and the Lord hath given me knowledge of it, and I know it. Then thou showedest me their doings. But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off of the land of the living, that his name be no more remembered. But O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that tries the reins in the heart, let me see thy vengeance upon them, for, I, uh, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. Therefore, thus, thus saith the Lord, the men of Anathoth, that's where Jeremiah was born, that was his hometown. The men of Anathoth that seek thy life, saying, prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons shall, and their daughters shall die by famine and there shall be no more remnant of them, for I will bring evil upon the men of Anatot, even the year of their visitation." This is heavy. So Israel, you know, Judah is not gonna be completely destroyed, but Anathoth, that's gonna be completely destroyed. Why? Because that's the town Jeremiah was from, and those were the men, that men of Anathoth, that were friends and family members of Jeremiah. They said, we're gonna kill you. And if you keep prophesying, we will kill you. That's what they're saying. It reminds me of what Jesus said, you know, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, uh, in his own land. And that's where it is here. Jeremiah's own people, his family members and people he grew up with said, yeah, get that wacko Jeremiah to stop saying what he's saying. Stop prophesying, stop doing this. It's always interesting when people tell you to stop. Um, you know, I've had a little bit of that in this day where there's so much division and anger and unrest. I've had people tell me, stop speaking against, you know, um, churches and ministries that won't talk about righteousness and wrath and judgment and God's holiness and hell and heaven. Uh, only say nice things about other pastors. I've been told that. Um, and, and yet, isn't it interesting that the Bible tells, you know, Paul the apostle tells us in Acts 20 that one of our jobs is to guard the flock, the, the flock that Jesus purchased with his own blood. And there are wolves that would come on amongst the sheep and they look like sheep. They might even sound like sheep, but they're wolves in sheep clothings. And, and really that's what we're supposed to do as pastors is watch and warn the flock of false teaching, of erroneous teaching. And some people say, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, um, I've had people say, you shouldn't be talking about Black Lives Matter, even though the corporation or the company itself is totally wacko. You know, basically Marxist, anti-family, anti-police. Uh, you know, like it's, it's, it's this amazing problem that everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I, the good news is since I first started talking about this, people are starting to figure it out. Uh, when I first started talking about this, people thought I was horrible to say that Black Lives Matter is not some group that you want to support. Um, of course, Black Lives Matter, the idea, of course, uh, but the, uh, the group of people, uh, you can't get behind them. 
But those are the kinds of things people say, stop talking about that stuff. And you know, when I, when I hear people say that, I, I sort of chuckle and I realize, wow, I'm now in the company of Jeremiah, you know, of them saying, stop saying the word of the Lord, prophesying. That's what Jeremiah's prophecies were, is speaking what the word of the Lord is. And I'm, I'm just speaking what the Bible says. And some people don't like it, but I'm gonna keep speaking it. Uh, because there's sort of like Jeremiah, we're gonna find out Jeremiah does get frustrated and he's gonna say, oh, I had a, a desire to not speak the word of the Lord anymore. He got tired of people wanting to kill him and hating him for what he was saying. But then he had this burning in his bones where he had to just keep preaching the word. And some people say, Brett, how do you keep speaking about these things without you know, getting discouraged when people are you know, chiding against you and stuff? I think there's a couple of things. There's a burning in my bones. I can say it like Jeremiah, that I, I feel like we need to speak the truth. And we try to speak it in love, but also in power with authority. But man, you know, the idea of not speaking the truth, that sounds more scary to me than just, you know, candy coating everything and making it easy for people to, you know, receive. That's a waste of time. So, um, you know, I, I see Jeremiah and he had it way worse than I did. Nobody from, you know, Fullerton, California, the land of my nativity, where I was born, nobody's trying to kill me from Fullerton, but everybody wanted to kill Jeremiah from Anathoth, where he was born. Uh, that's a tough day of ministry right there. And so the Lord says, listen, Jeremiah, because they're wanting to kill you, I'm gonna wipe out Anathoth. They're gonna be utterly destroyed. So uh, scary, scary story here. And Jeremiah's words are pretty heavy, but still they're not gonna listen. Really sad. Well, that brings us to chapter 12, where Jeremiah is gonna um, ask a question of the Lord. And, and, um, and you, you sense a little frustration in Jeremiah. And I can't blame him. I mean, it'd be frustrating ministering to that people group at that time with nobody listening. And seeing wicked people prospering, um, the, the most sinful people doing really well, all the while they were trying to kill him. The one guy that was doing the work of the Lord, they were trying to off. Everybody else was seemingly prosperous. And so he asks that old age, age uh, question um, that many people had asked over the centuries, why do the wicked prosper? Um, some people might put it this way in our days, you know, when's God gonna intervene? Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, where is God when they're suffering in the world? Like these are the kind of questions that are really the same, same basic issue. Let's take a look here in chapter 12. Jeremiah starts out, Righteous art thou, O Lord. When I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are they all happy that deal very treacherously? Now, there's a Jewish term here that uh, I, I find appropriate, and that is chutzpah. Here, Jeremiah is demonstrating chutzpah. Why? Well, chutzpah is that brave, you know, leadership, you know, taking it by the horns, not being afraid. And he says, Lord, I've got a question. And he's doing this sort of with chutzpah. He's saying, he's saying, Lord, why, why are you allowing the wicked to prosper? What are you doing, Lord? Is kind of what he's saying. And it takes a little bravery here to ask it the way he is. But he does say, um, he says, let me talk with thee of thy judgments. What's, what, what's going on with your judgment, Lord? Because the wicked are prospering. And he's frustrated by that. And he says, they're all happy that deal treacherously. Verse two, 
Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far in their, from their reins. But thou, O Lord, knoweth me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn and the herb of, the, of every field wither? For the wickedness of them that dwell therein, the beasts are consumed and the birds because they said he shall not see our last end. Uh, or they won't, he won't see how it turns out for us, is what they're saying. Jeremiah saying, Lord, do something. These people are wicked. Why are they prospering? Why are they happy? And our land is suffering because of the evil that they're doing. We're, he's saying, I'm seeing other you know, collateral damage because of these pagan Jews that are worshiping Baal. Do something, Lord. Why do the wicked prosper? That's what Jeremiah is asking. And like I said, this has been asked by many. It was Asaph and David and Job. All those guys asked the same question quite eloquently. Asaph wrote perhaps the most uh, descript one in, in uh, Psalm chapter 73. Let me read there. Um, he starts off in Psalm 73, one, truly God is good to Israel, even to such of as a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone and my steps had well slipped. He's saying, I'm in a slippery place and here's the problem. He says, for when I was envious at the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth about them as a chain. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily or pridefully. Um, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. He goes on and lists all these wicked people and their prosperity. And he's sort of whining, Lord, why are the wicked prospering? What are you doing? Same thing Jeremiah is doing. Same thing David said. Same thing Job talked about. But this guy, Asaph, it was during this time of seeking the Lord that the Lord gave him the answer. Have you ever done that where you're asking the Lord, Lord, why is this happening to me? Or what's going on? And as you're asking and seeking, then the Lord reveals his truth to you. And that's what happens to old Asaph, the worship leader here in Psalm 73. Um, he says, as he's talking about these bad guys, the wicked prospering, he goes there in verse 73, verse 16, he says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I couldn't even bear it, he's saying, that the wicked are prospering and the, the evil people are doing so well. I can't even bear it until, listen, this is what he says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. When did Asaph understand the problem? When he went into the sanctuary of the Lord. That's always a good thing. Going into the house of the Lord is a great place to have truth revealed to you. Um, it's in worship that oftentimes re re the revealing of truth happens. And this is what he understood. He said, surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How they are brought into desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus, Asaph says, thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I 
and ignorant. I was a beast before thee. Asaph says, my, my attitude was beastly to hate these wicked people and say, why are you causing them to prosper, Lord? And he realized because their time is coming where they're, gonna, they're, on slippery, they're on a slippery slope and there's gonna come a day where sudden destruction comes upon them. One of the biggest problems, I think, with our worldview is we don't see the big picture. And the bigger picture, in a nutshell, is the believer, you could live a suffering, horrible life on this earth for 75, 85, 95 years, but that's just all you have of suffering. Then you get to be in heaven with the Lord in all glory for all eternity. And this life on this earth will be a blip on the screen and you think, yeah, whatever. But for the wicked, they prosper in these little blips of 75, 85, 95 years and they seem to prosper and be prideful and foolish but then they have to spend eternity in hell and destruction. You see, that's what Asaph, then I understood their end. I understood what was gonna happen to them. They're going down and it broke his heart. And he even saw the ugliness in his own heart that he was mad at the wicked when he should have been compassionate toward them, realizing they were going to destruction. That's when he says, I acted like a beast when I hated them. I wonder if you look at the wicked today like Asaph was looking at it at that time. Lord, why are you blessing the wicked? And why, you know, why are certain people winning elections? And why are certain you know, groups uh, you know, seemingly succeeding when your word is failing and people are not walking with you or believing the scriptures? And you might be upset and even have a sort of a bitterness in your heart toward the wicked. But it was Asaph when he was seeking the Lord realized, but he saw their end, he knew what their end was. When you see people marching in Portland for causes you don't agree with. Do you hate them? Do you think, what a bunch of losers? Lord, why are they doing well? Come on, Lord, get them. Or do you have a heart where you say, Lord, save them. And you, you find yourself weeping in compassion for those people that are, that are so misguided and don't know the truth and are headed for destruction. Lord, help us to be more compassionate. Uh, that's what happened. Asaph finally gets to that uh, place, and we're going to see Jeremiah also get to that place of real compassion. But he nonetheless is asking the question, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Now, you know, Jeremiah is funny on this one because did you notice he answered his question before he even asked the question? In our text here in chapter 12, you know, we saw in verses 1 through 5 or 1 through 4 saying, Lord, why do the wicked prosper and what are you doing? Kind of the question. But he answered his question in the very first phrase of chapter 12, righteous art thou, O Lord. In other words, Lord, you're right on everything. So that's a good way to premise his little question. But does he really know that's the answer too? He asked the question, but the answer is the Lord is righteous and he's gonna work it all out. Um, and it's, it's his job to work it out, not ours. So if the wicked are prospering, the Lord's doing what he's doing and he's righteous and he knows what he's doing, and he's got a timing and a plan and a purpose, and we can just chill out and be compassionate and let the Lord deal with people the way he's gonna deal with them. Well, that brings us to verse five. It says there, if thou hast run with the footmen, this is the Lord responding to his question. If thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee, how canst thou contend with the horses? And if the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how will thou do in the swelling of Jordan, or when it's flooding? 
For even thy brethren in the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. Yea, they have called the multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. Um, the Lord says, you know, basically when he says, how can you run with the, if you can't run with the footman, how do you think you're going to run with the horseman? In other words, Jeremiah, it's not as bad as you think it is. It's only, it's only going to get worse and you need to buck up and be strong. That's what the Lord's saying. If you can't run with the footman, how are you going to run with the horseman? And it's going to get worse is what he's saying. And the Jordan River is going to flood and there's going to be trouble, but I'm going to take care of you is what the Lord's basically saying to Jeremiah. Um, this is where we have to remember the Lord doesn't tempt us above that which we are able. And um, so we have to trust the Lord. Now, God's answer um, basically to, uh, to Jeremiah here is verses 5 through 17. So his answer continues in uh, verse f 7. I have forsaken mine house. I have left mine heritage. I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of our, of our enemies. Mine heritage is unto me as a lion in the forest. It cries out against me, therefore have I hated it. Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. The birds round about are against her. Come ye assemble all the beasts of the field, come to devour. Wow, this is dark. This is the Lord saying, I've forsaken mine house. During the time of Jeremiah, the Lord says, I'm not there anymore. I'm not in the temple in Jerusalem. I'm not, you know, I wonder how many churches today are open, but the Lord's not there. Have you ever thought about that? I think you can sense it. If you go into a certain church and you just don't sense the Lord there, man, run for your life. Go where the Lord is. Go where you can sense the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But man, long gone has the Lord left some of these churches. You know, you think of some of these great cathedrals in Europe. I've seen so many of them and, you know, they're in, um, Italy, I, I got to see a bunch of the beautiful cathedrals that were built, but you don't sense the Lord there anymore. I, I have a hunch that at one point the Lord was there. The, the people that built these things had a passion for art and it was an act of worship to build to the Lord these beautiful cathedrals. But man, they're cold as ice right now, a lot of them. And you, you kind of wonder, Lord, don't, don't let us be attached to a building thinking it's some holy place, especially if you're not there. Because even the temple in Jerusalem became a place where the Lord says, I'm not there anymore. That's, that's just not my house. But then he says, but I'm going to destroy the people who've destroyed my temple. I, I'm going to take them out. And the language here is, well, it's a little cryptic to us. But he says, you know, basically my inheritance is as a speckled bird. You say, well, what's that? Interesting question. What is a speckled bird? Um, you say a bird with spots? Yes, the spotted owl? No, could be, but it's a bird of prey. And in fact, um, the idea here is interesting because um, some of your translations put a uh, bird of prey. I believe it's, is it the ESV that says something about a hyena? <laughs> is it a speckled bird or is it a hyena? Well, the, the idea is similar and it's an, a predator of prey that tends to feast on the carcasses of dead animals. Um, now, the speckled bird imagery is one that is interesting because it has to do with a certain kind of vulture. There's a vulture, a uh, bird of prey that likes to eat dead roadkill. You've seen them maybe. I remember when I was in Africa, um, I was sitting out in the bush and there was these ladies cooking at a fire 
and uh, they were cooking the meal for this pastor's conference uh, on this open fire. And, um, but these vultures were all lurking in the trees right over their heads because they were wanting to eat some of the scraps of the meat. And I, I got some pictures of these particularly ugly vultures, almost like the cartoon ones with the bright red skin heads and the black feathers and that ugly birds. But man, if there's something dead, those birds just kind of, uh, it's, it's just kind of grotesque. Um, but that particular bird, that kind of vulture, sometimes they're little, what do you want to call them, chicks? Vulture chicklets? Uh, sometimes they are born speckled and the other ones are not. And there's a certain species of vulture that's a, that is born speckled and there's nothing wrong with it. And it will look ultimately like the other birds, but it's just different than the others when it's born. And sometimes these vultures, they see the speckled bird and they say, that's wrong, so they eat it. The vultures eat their own speckled bird uh, as prey. And that's the imagery the Bible's using here. The Lord says, um, as a speckled bird, see the, it's kind of a grotesque picture is the idea. As a speckled bird, the birds round about are against her. Come ye assemble, all the beasts of the field come to devour. The Lord's saying, I'm done with these people. They've for, forsaken me. And so they're gonna be like the speckled bird. They're gonna be devoured. And the hyenas and the, the birds of prey are gonna pluck off their flesh. That's the imagery, pretty brutal. Well, verse 10, many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate and being desolate, it mourneth unto me. The whole land is made desolate because no man layeth it to heart. The spoilers are come upon all high places through the wilderness. The sword of the Lord shall devour from the one end of the land even to the other end of the land no flesh shall have peace. They have sown wheat, but shall reap thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but shall not profit. They shall be ashamed of your revenues because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord against all mine evil neighbors that touch the inheritance, which I have caused my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck out of the houses of Judah from among them. And it shall come to pass after that I have plucked them out, I will return and have compassion on them and will bring them again, every man to his heritage and every man to his land. And it shall come to pass if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name, the Lord liveth as long as they talk, uh, pardon me, the Lord liveth as they taught my people to swear unto ba uh, by Baal, then shall they be built in the midst of my people, but if they uh, will not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, saith the Lord. Now this is an, uh, an interesting um, sort of shifting of gears. The Lord's talking about how he's gonna destroy the, the Jews during Jeremiah's time, but there's gonna come a time, the nations that were around Israel causing them the trouble, sort of the tool of judgment that God's gonna use, like the Assyrians, the Babylonians and others, um, he's gonna eventually judge those nations for judging Israel. But he gives them this interesting sort of promise that's a little cryptic. And you say, but he's eventually gonna bring some of those people back to their lands and they're sort of gonna be blessed. How's, and when's that gonna happen? Well, this is where scholars believe that the Lord is talking about his second coming. So the time of Jeremiah's people, they're gonna be wiped out. 
But it seems that he's talking in verse 15, it shall come to pass after I've plucked them out, I will return. Some people believe that's the Lord saying, that's my second coming. And we'll have compassion on them, both the Jews and the nations that caused Jews all the problems. And it says, I will bring them again, every man to his heritage. In other words, into his own land. So um, Iranians will be put back in Iran. Lebanese will be put back in Lebanon. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, Egyptians will be brought back to Egypt, perhaps during the millennial reign. The Lord will sort out the people groups and that's where they'll live. Some, some people see that here in this passage. But the Lord says, if they will not obey, I'm gonna pluck them up and destroy each nation. That's what the Lord says. So much of Jeremiah's prophecy is very much doom and gloom. There's a tiny bright spot possibly in verse 15. Well, verse thir chapter 13 goes on, thus saith the Lord unto me, go and get thee a linen girdle and put it upon thy loins and put it not in water. Um, I gave a brief teaching on this, get it, brief teaching? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> uh, it was Jeremiah walking around in his underwear, remember this? Uh, and we saw that uh, last Sunday. And, um, and this was a, an interesting picture of a rebellious people and how they become good for nothing just like Jeremiah's girdle that became good for nothing. And we saw that verses one through 11 on Sunday. And verse 12, it says, "'Therefore thou shalt speak unto them this word, "'Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, "'Every bottle shall be filled with wine, "'and they shall say unto thee, "'Do we not certainly know "'that every bottle shall be filled with wine? "'Then thou shalt say unto them, "'Thus saith the Lord, "'Behold, I will fill all the inhabitants of this land, even the kings that sit upon David's throne and all the priests and the prophets and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. And I will dash them one against the other, even the fathers and the sons together, saith the Lord. I will not pity nor spare nor have mercy, but destroy them. He says, you can fill up your wine bottles, but every time you fill the wine bottles, remember I'm gonna fill up the land with drunkenness of the Jews and they're gonna end up being totally destroyed. I'm gonna fill up the land with Babylonian soldiers and they're gonna take over and wipe you out. This is the Lord you know, prophesying through Jeremiah, their destruction. Verse 15, hear ye and give ear, be not proud for the Lord hath spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he cause darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while you look for light, he turned it into the shadow of death. Um, this is that Thanksgiving thing I was talking about at the beginning. It's almost like the Lord says, you guys, darkness is here. It's right around the corner. It's not totally dark yet, but it's gonna be. So he's almost pleading for them, give ear. Don't be prideful, he says, verse 15. The Lord spoke and give glory to the Lord. Turn before it's completely dark. Um, and it's almost like the Lord is pleading, but we also have the same notion that Jeremiah is gonna say, but it's too late. It's almost nighttime, but you're all pretty much toast and they're not gonna give glory to the Lord. They're not gonna repent. And that's the sad part of the story. But I wonder if this verse 15 and 16 is for you and me to remind us that we live in dark days of rebellion and people that are not living for the Lord and serving God and the darkness is thick, but it's not completely dark. We still have a little bit of light in this world and, and, and that's our job to, to look to the light of Jesus Christ. Man, um, into this darkness, marvelous light has come. 
And as Christians, we get to choose to look to the light. Uh, it's almost nighttime, but it's time to be children of the light and not children of the night or the dark. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Verse 17, but if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. And mine eye shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. This is the heart of the father. This is the heart of Jeremiah. They're weeping because the people are prideful and they will not turn. God help us, help you and me to have a compassionate heart for the lost, uh, for those that are living in the dark, to, to have a, a, a not, God forbid that we have a tearless ministry at Athey Creek where we're all about, hey, well, at least we got our homes and our houses and at least we're walking with the Lord, at least we're going to heaven, at least we're saved by God's grace. Uh, but we, we could care less about the world that's plunging into darkness. Give us a compassionate heart, O Lord. That's what happens here. Jeremiah is weeping. That's why he's called the weeping prophet, because he's compassionate. But then he's got a message for the king and queen. It says, verse 18, say unto the king and to the queen, humble yourselves, sit down, for your principalities shall come down, even the crown of your glory. In other words, your crowns are gonna fall off. You're, you're, you think you're all good and stuff, but be, be humble. Now, by the way, at this point in Jeremiah's book, um, this is probably referring to, so far we've had King Josiah, um, and then we had Jehoiada. Um, but this is a guy, this king that's being referred to here in chapter 13 is a guy named Jehoiada, uh, uh, Je pardon me, there was Josiah, Jehoiakim, and now this is Jehoiachin. Remember when we were studying through the kings, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin? And then to make it even worse, sometimes Jehoiachin is called Jeconiah. Um, so it's a little confusing, but the same guy, Jeconiah, Jehoiachin. Um, uh, this is an evil king. And the queen referred to here as the queen mother. And uh, interesting uh, name, her name was Nehushta. Uh, and, um, and she was also named here because of all the Jewish queens and what have you, she was influential. Uh, a lot of the queens aren't even really mentioned in uh, Bible times uh, because the Jews really didn't focus on queens as much, but there were a couple. There were Jezebel and there was this woman you know, um, Nehushta. And this is the one Jeremiah is referring to, Jehoiachin or Jeho uh, uh, you know, Jeconiah, same guy, but also Nehushta. And, and he says, say to this king and this queen, humble yourselves, sit down. Um, uh, you know, your crowns are gonna fall off is what he's saying. Verse 19, the cities of the south shall be shut up and none shall open them. Judah shall be carried away captive, all of it and it shall be wholly carried away captive. Lift up your eyes and behold them that come from the north. Where's the flock that was given thee, thy beautiful flock? You know, you once had a bunch of people in a beautiful kingdom. Where did it all go? That's the Lord's warning them. It's, it's gonna be taken. Verse 21, what will thou say when he shall punish thee? For thou hast taught them to be captains and chief over thee. The, uh, shall not sorrows take thee? as a woman in travail. I'm like, you're gonna feel pain, like a birth, a woman in childbirth. Uh, when you lose your flock and when these other nations who you've let be your boss, remember they aligned themselves with Egypt and with uh, other kings and tried to pay off the Babylonians, um, but they became the servants of these people. That's what the Lord's saying. Verse 22, and if thou were, uh, and if thou say in thine heart, 
Wherefore come these things upon me? For the greatness of thine iniquity are thy skirts discovered and thy heels made bare. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Um, then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Therefore will I scatter them as the stubble that passeth away by the wind of the wilderness. This is thy lot, the portion of thy measures from me, saith the Lord, because thou hast forgotten me, and you've trusted in falsehood. Um, boy, I hope we're not trusting in falsehood. Uh, that's, that's something that I think is prolific today. There's falsehood, and people are trusting in things that are just false and not really knowing what is truth. Uh, I need to remind us over and over again that the Bible is the one thing you can trust. Don't trust politicians. Don't trust social media. Don't trust what you're hearing on the news or um, on your favorite podcast or be careful with information. This is the, the, the characteristic of a falling, uh, doomed people that put their trust in falsehoods. That's what the Lord says. Therefore, he uses this skirt being lifted up again, image in verse 26. Therefore will I discover thy skirts upon thy face that thy shame may appear. I have seen thine adulteries and thy neighings, the lewdness of thy whoredom and thine abominations on the hills of the fields. Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem, wilt thou not be made clean? When shall it once be? The Lord is just saying, when are you guys gonna get this together? When are you gonna figure it out? I've discovered you and, and I see your nakedness. This imagery of the, the skirt has been lifted up over your face. Reminds me of a story. I was doing a wedding years ago and we were on this platform, not that unlike this one here. And, um, and uh, you know, I was standing here and the, 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 the bride, the groom and the bridesmaids uh, and the men of, uh, you know, the men, what do you call them, the, the groomsmen. And um, the maid of honor was the sister of the bride. So I'm doing this wedding and, you know, it was kind of a hot summer evening and I think it was warm in that church at that time. And, but um, sure enough, it happened in Southern Oregon all the time because of the hot, but the, the bridesmaid, the sister of the bride, just, she fainted uh, and fell backwards off the stairs, like right off these, like these stairs. Can you imagine falling backwards and then hitting your head on the floor? Uh, that's a long fall. Now, normally, uh, being the considerate pastor that I am, I would have kind of stopped and made sure she was okay and we would have, you know, done something. But it was kind of an, a weird situation because the bride just said, Pastor Brett, keep going. Don't stop the wedding. I'm like thinking, but yeah, but your sister just fell and she's laying there unconscious. Well, the dad, the father of the bride, the father of the, you know, bridesmaid, he, he's like, it's all good. And he went and he grabbed his daughter by the ankles and just started dragging her out of the sanctuary. I'm not kidding, this is a true story. And as he drug her, her head was sort of bouncing on the floor and, and her dress was just kind of going up over her head. And, and I was just like, ah! and, 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 and she just kept saying, Brett, just keep going, don't stop the wedding. I don't know why she was so determined. Uh, maybe she was worried the, the groom was a runner. I don't know. But uh, I still, to this day, kind of think that's gonna be one of the chapters in my wedding stories book. Uh, that I'm going to write someday, because I got all kinds of wedding stories, having done over a thousand weddings. But that's the imagery God uses, the dress being brought up over your face, and you're like, you're blind, but your nakedness is revealed. And the Lord says, I see it all, and you're blinded. And that's the, that's the picture <laughs> that the Lord gives to the people of Israel. And then he says, why wouldn't you just turn? Why wouldn't you turn to the light? It's almost like the Lord still, there's a bit of pleading, but it's already determined. 
Why does the Lord still have the heart of pleading, but he's already determined what he's gonna do? The answer, you and me. I think that the book of Jeremiah was not just for the words of Jeremiah, were not just for the people of that day, but the Lord would still say to us, these people are an example of what not to do. So you and I need to be uh, following the word of God and uh, not being into other, you know, other things. So it's kind of a heavy book, isn't it? Um, now, uh, we can squeeze in one more chapter, four chapters last week, four chapters this week. This might be some kind of a record, but uh, let's do it. Uh, chapter 14, it says, the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the dearth. Judah mourneth and the gates thereof languish. They are black unto the ground and the cry of Jerusalem is gone up. The word dearth there in the King James is, is a newer word, drought. There was a drought in the land where the, the crops were failing. There was a famine. But this famine, as we're going to see, it was both physical, but also very much spiritual. There was a spiritual famine in the land. And basically, um, you know, the people of Israel are going to be in real trouble. And, uh, and, and there's a famine. And they're going to cry out to the Lord. Isn't it funny how human nature is to cry out to the Lord when you're in trouble? But when things are rosy, that's when you don't cry out at all. And this is how Jeremiah, do you remember how he kind of started the book in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13, he said, you have done, committed two evils. You have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and you've exchanged it for broken down cisterns that leak and don't hold water. And so now in chapter 14, they're wondering, why are we thirsty? The answer, Jeremiah two thirteen. you've forsaken me, the Lord says, the fountain of living water, and they've exchanged the Lord for these broken down cisterns. And now they're thirsty. And that's what this chapter is about. Verse three, and their nobles have sent their little ones to the waters and they came to the pits and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded and covered their heads because the ground was chapped for there was no rain in the earth. The plowmen were ashamed, they covered their heads. Yea the hind also calved in the field and forsook it because there was no grass. And the wild asses did stand in the high places and they snuffed up the wind like dragons. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. O Lord, though our iniquities testify against us, do thou it for thy name's sake, for our backslidings are many and we have sinned against thee. Man, now they're dry, they're thirsty and in trouble. The deer gives birth to a fawn, but just walks away knowing it's gonna die anyway because of the famine. Um, that's the idea here. And, and so the, Jeremiah, notice he does something that all the great prophets do. He starts to confess the nation's sin. And what's interesting is these prophets always include themselves. He says, O oh Lord, though, uh, through our, though our iniquities testify against us. Jeremiah could have perhaps said, though all of you people's sins are testifying against you, he includes himself, just like Daniel. In Daniel chapter nine, when Daniel's praying, he says, Lord, we have sinned, we have done wickedly before thy sight. There was an ownership of Daniel for the whole nation's sins. Jeremiah does that as well. And it's something that I wonder if you and I should do to follow the good example of Jeremiah and Daniel, where we should say, Lord, forgive United States for we have sinned. We have forsaken you, the, the fountain of living water. We have become a, a nation that embraces sinful 
practices that your word calls an abomination. We have forsaken your word for you know, so-called science. We have forsaken, forsaken your word for so-called philosophy and intellect. You know, Lord, forgive us. We have sinned. I think we need to have a heart to confess the sins of a nation. That's what Jeremiah is doing here. Verse eight, of the hope of Israel, the savior thereof in time of trouble, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land, as a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? Why shouldest thou be as a man astonied, as a mighty man that can't, uh, cannot save? Yet thou, O Lord, art in the midst of us, and we are called by thy name, leave us not. Thus saith the Lord unto his people, thus have they loved to wander. They have not refrained their feet from the, uh, the Lord doth not accept them. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. And he will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. See, this is that point of no return where like in Romans one, the Lord gave them over to their sins and deceitful lusts. This is where the Lord says, I will remember their sins and their iniquity. Don't you, this is scary to me. I love the scriptures that say, I will remember their sins no more and I will blot out their iniquities. That's to the repentant person. The person who repents gets forgiveness every time with God. But these people are unrepentant. Therefore, the Lord's gonna remember their sins. That's the most horrifying thing I can even imagine is standing before God where God is judging you for your sins. Then verse 11 said the Lord unto me, pray not for this people for their good. There it is again, stop praying for them. Verse 12, when they fast, I will not hear their cry. When they uh, offer burnt offering and an oblation, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword and by the famine in the, and by the pestilence. Then said I, oh Lord God, behold the prophets say unto them, you shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Then the Lord said unto me, Jeremiah, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught or nothing and the deceit of their heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name and I sent them not, yet they say, Sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. And they shall have none to bury them, um, their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour their wickedness upon them. Therefore thou shalt say this word unto them, let mine eyes run down with tears night and day and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people is broken with a great breach, with a very grievous blow. If I go forth into the field, then behold the slain with the sword. And if I enter into the city, then behold them that are sick with famine. Yea, both the prophet and the priest go about into the land that they know not. Hast thou utterly rejected Judah? Hath thy soul loathed Zion? Why hast thou smitten us? And there is no healing for us. We looked for peace and there is no good. And for the time of healing and behold, trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against thee. Do not abhor us for thy name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of thy glory. Remember, break not thy covenant with us. 
Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Art not thou he, O Lord our God? Therefore we will wait upon thee, for thou hast made all these things. This is Jeremiah, and he starts off, you know, there in, um, you know, verse 13. Oh, Lord God, the prophets are saying it's going to be good. It's all good. The sword's not coming on the people. It's all going to be great. And the Lord says, those prophets are not my prophets at all. I did not send them. They're speaking lies. And the people are willing to listen to them. And see, Jeremiah's he's saying, oh, but Lord, you can't forsake the people. And this is where Jeremiah ends in chapter 14 saying, Lord, don't completely forsake us. And the Lord won't completely, he's gonna answer that prayer. He's not gonna completely forsake Israel where they're wiped off the earth. Um, he did that to other nations, but not so with the children of Israel because he remembered his everlasting covenant with the Jews. And that's why there's still Jews today, uh, millions of Jews in Israel to this day because of his everlasting covenant. They were almost wiped out during the time of the Babylonian raids and ultimately seen in 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar came and these prophecies were fulfilled. The people were wiped out by the edge of the sword, dead by famine, birds of the air picking the flesh off their bones. That's the, this dark gloomy picture happened because of the rebellion of the people of Israel. You know, this is the kind of scripture that um, a lot of, like some of the pastors won't read Jeremiah chapter 14 or 13 or 12 or 11, because it's just too much gloom and doom. You can't talk about hope uh, when you're talking about birds picking flesh. You can't talk about, you know, joy and, you know, learning about the inner power within yourself. You can't, you can't talk about victorious living when you're reading Jeremiah. You, you have to kind of see, wow, this is dark. And some people would say, you got to be more positive, Brett, come on. But when you go verse by verse through the Bible, what this does for us is it makes us remember God is righteous. And he demands holiness and righteousness. None of us qualify. We're all doomed except for the grace of God. This is where you and I can say, like Jeremiah at the end here, Lord, forgive us of our sins. And as we repent of our sins and confess them to the Lord, praise the Lord, he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So you and I don't have to be afraid of this kind of doom and death if you're saved. But the truth is, there's a black backdrop that makes God's grace beautiful. Like the jeweler that puts the diamond on the black velvet. Why? Because the diamond sparkles brightest on the black backdrop. That's why jewelers do that. They put it on a dark surface so the, the diamond sparkles. Well, the, the diamond of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ shines its brightest and sparkles its most beautiful with the black backdrop of the wrath and the death and the destruction that you and I deserve. And then when that doesn't come, and we're saved by God's grace through faith, it just makes it that much sweeter. See, I believe that people that only talk about the positive, pastors and churches that only talk about the happy, 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 and the power within you and victorious living, when they only talk about that, they will not appreciate the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ as much if they were told the truth about God's wrath, judgment, and justice. It's still coming. The end is coming where God's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. Well, bro, you're starting to sound like Jeremiah. Good! Because the same thing that's happening to the people here where they're at the edge of the cliff about ready to go off, that's happening to the world today. And God's wrath will be poured out on a Christ-rejecting sinful world. 
But like Jeremiah's day, had any one of them turned and said, Lord, we repent of our sins and we confess our need for salvation and turn. The same thing can happen for us if we're, if we, if we're repentant and confess Christ and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose up from the grave, we're gonna be saved. And I believe not only will, you know, we might see bad times and, and really horrible times on this earth, but we're gonna be raptured, taken up to be with the Lord, saved before the real wrath of God, the whole wrath of God is gonna be poured out upon a Christ-rejecting sinful world. And so we have something to look forward to. And uh, you know, uh, one of the things I've noticed about this day that we're living, 2020, the church is a little disillusioned because if you go to one of those churches, it's all happy, 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 positive, 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 and they're not talking about the wrath of God, righteousness, just, then you think, why is it happening the way it is? Aren't we supposed to be living victoriously? But Kate Brown just said we have to lock down for till end of December, at least. And I'm pretty sure it'll go longer than that too. Uh, um, and people are like, this is just bummer. It's a depressing Thanksgiving tomorrow. And hey, it just makes it that much sweeter if you're a Christian, you know, you know what, this life is just, this life is boot camp. You know, the worst day in this life, uh, you know, no big deal. Because we have heaven to look forward to and eternity to be with the Lord. And so we can endure even to the end and not give up, not be weary in well-doing. We can keep walking with the Lord and put our trust in him and not in man. Um, I think there's a lot of disillusioned people because we've not been given the full counsel of God. Um, the wrath of God is righteousness, justice, and judgment, but also his holiness, and then also his grace, and his kindness, and his compassion, and his mercy that fails not. That beautiful, beautiful gem of the gospel shines brightly when you see that this should be our doom. When you read the book of Jeremiah, you, you, you should really go away from that book with a relief, a sense of, whew, Lord, how thankful I am that I'm not gonna be part of that because you've saved me by your grace because of your, your goodness, your kindness. Um, so if you read it and you feel bummed out, you're missing the point. If you read it and you think, whew, we dodged a big bullet and thank the Lord he saved our souls and I feel glad about that, then you're getting what Jeremiah, the book, is actually about. Um, thanks be to the Lord for that. In Jesus' name, let's pray. And Lord, we're thankful tonight for these chapters, as dark and bleak as they are, because they remind us of really what our doom should have been and how you plucked us out of the fires of hell. Lord, you saved us and you brought us up out of the grave and out of death and out of famine and out of our own misery because of our own sin. Lord, you are the one who's been merciful and kind, and we thank you, Lord, for being such a merciful and gracious God. Lord, I pray that the book of Jeremiah, as dark as it can be, I pray that it'd be a great encouragement to the believers. Lord, that we, we just rejoice in you and who you are and what you've done. So thank you for speaking, Lord, tonight to us by your spirit. Now, may these scriptures bring good fruit in our lives. Bless your people tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.